It's an unbelievable privilege to uh, introduce Emma to you. Emma has, has spent the last year uh, kind of part-time on an, a tailored internship with Oasis uh, in which she's uh, given time for free to who we are, to serve us as a community, which is amazing. In that time, though, what I've discovered uh, is someone who uh, has a good sense of humour, someone who can tolerate working around me, which is quite a gift in itself, but probably more than all of those things is someone who's really longing to be shaped by who Jesus is. And when you f- see that in someone, there's something just very, very winsome in it. And therefore, when we're looking at summer and thinking uh, through different people and where, where, who's going to get to share when, we just thought it'd be great to hear something from Emma. Uh, as I think, and I have a privilege of seeing some of what she's going to share this morning, it is going to do us good. And therefore, in this moment, what I want us to know, this is the first time Emma's ever spoken like this, which in itself is a big one. Like, I, I can think back to the first time I ever spoke in front of a group of people. One is, I can promise you my preach isn't as good as the one Emma's going to do. Two is that I felt incredibly nervous. And I think what I've discovered, though, is Oasis is the best place to speak in front of people. Because what we find is this is a bunch of people who think, actually, we're with you. And we want the best for you, but also we want to have open hearts to receive everything we can. And so how we can express that this morning is I, I want us just to applaud, not as a way of saying kind of building something up, but rather saying, as we applaud, we're saying, we're for you, and we're open to receiving from you. So should we do that? Let's welcome Emma. Thank you. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Emma, and I've got the privilege of speaking to you this morning. As a church, we've just finished our well-being series, being reminded that God offers us life and life to the full, and that applies to every part of us, um, our spiritual health, our physical health, emotional well-being, mental well-being, and also how we relate to others too. It's been brilliant, but not something for just those few weeks. It's something to apply and work through for the rest of our lives. And we see in the Bible that Jesus wants to break into our lives and encounter us in incredible ways in order that we may know this life and real, genuine well-being. And last week, Rich so brilliantly began this series on encounters with Jesus. He spoke about the moments we encounter God at the top of the mountain, seeing him in all his splendor, might and majesty, and also at the bottom of the mountain, which is equally an important place as followers of Jesus to be. More importantly, he's spoken on how we do the journey well. When I realised he had called his talk there and back again and began talking about Middle Earth, I half expected a hobbit joke to be thrown my way. <laughs> In fact, last week when I was walking down to take my seat, Colin, who was hosting, said, how it's great to have the little people with us this morning. <laughs> and I thought, how rude! Uh, until I realised he was, in fact, talking to the OKC kids. Um, And I've called this talk uh, within a crowd. And for me, for the reason just mentioned, crowds are a touch difficult. And my height or lack of it and very bad sense of direction often mean I can get lost in a crowd. And from concerts to shopping centers, festivals to clubs, crowds have always been a bit of a problem. Uh, At concerts, I'm always there craning my neck and up on my tippy toes to get a glimpse of what's going on. I love it at the map because we have uh, tiered seating. Um, Often in crowds and depending where I am and how safe I feel, I can suddenly feel anxious 
and scared as I get pushed to and fro and fear losing contact with the people I am with. Sometimes I become very aware of myself amongst all the taller people around me and I begin to feel short on the inside as well as the outside. I experience that lost feeling of thinking, I'm just here, unnoticed, unknown and unable to get, out, get myself out if I really needed to. I can feel like a child. And I realise this isn't a massive problem, it's a small problem, and it's uh, not even always a problem. Sometimes it's, it's great. Um, I remember when I was a kid and my uh, grandparents took me and my twin sister to Disneyland Paris. Uh, and my sister Kate, she was fearless at this age. And wherever she went, I went. And you can imagine us two little terrors running around the theme park whilst my poor granny is pulling her hair out thinking how she's going to explain to my mum how she has lost one of us, or worse both of us. Um, and at Disneyland, as you know, you have all the characters dressed up and walking around the park. And we had this book where we collected their signatures. Um, now, there were like literally hundreds of rides and attractions and fun things to see, but little Kate and Emma, for some reason, wanted to spend their time in Disneyland collecting scrawled bits of ink from middle-aged men dressed up as Mickey Mouse and Goofy. <laughs> but so did a lot of other children, and there would be these big crowds of kids high on candy floss, desperate for Donald Duck to sign their book. But my sister Kate, she also played rugby at this time, so there's no messing with her. And she would nip in and out of the crowds, weaving in and out of the other children, and proceed to shove the signature book right in front of the Disney character's face, completely blocking their sight so they had no other choice but to sign the book. And then we were a crafty pair. And this worked brilliantly until we came across Captain Hook. Kate used the same fail-safe up until this point technique. She weaved in and out, got to the front, and shoved the book in Hook's face. Now Kate, bless her, didn't count on the guy in the Hook outfit being so character-driven. <laughs> After all, he was a pirate, and he grabbed the book, and he grabbed the pen, and he violently threw it away. The pen smashed, the book splattered on the floor. Uh, you see, Hook didn't care. He didn't know who we were or, or want to know. He didn't see any difference from the hundreds um, of kids gathering around him each day. We were just some more annoying children amongst all the annoying children. The fact that Kate seemingly got in his way out of sheer desperation to get his signature didn't make a difference. In that crowd, we were unknown, and we went away disappointed. I want us to now look at another story within a crowd, but this story has a different outcome. I'm going to read from Mark's Gospel if you want to turn to chapter 5, verse 21 in your Bibles, or it will come up on the screen behind me. Uh, Mark sandwiches in the story that we'll be looking at together this morning. It's a miracle within a miracle moment. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. 
At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. Trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, just to give this passage a little context, uh, women with bleeding problems would have lived with crippling shame and with certain labels. They would have been labeled unclean, dirty, shameful, and even cursed. In Jesus' time, the rules of ritual purity were tightening, not loosening. To have constant bleeding for 12 years in a society where such rules were rigorously enforced would have been truly awful. You would be constantly unclean. Those who knew about your condition would not welcome you. You could not participate in religious services or activities. Uh, This woman would have lived a hopeless and a hidden existence. In all sense of the word, she was rejected and an outcast. This woman was desperate for things to change. She was at the end of herself, barely existing, treated like the bare bones of a human. The reality of bleeding for 12 years without cure and in fact getting worse is hard to imagine, especially when she'd spent all her money and remaining energy on doctors who could offer no solution. The embarrassment and the psychological trauma caused by such dehumanization again, can hardly be imagined that the burden of 12 years of such uncleanliness would have been overwhelming for this poor woman. And that's over half of my life, to put that into a bit of context and make most of you feel old. (laughs) This woman was uh, desperate. She was desperate to find Jesus, and she was desperate to be healed. Her determination to stay alive resolutely sustained and motivated her to do everything in her power for 12 years till she could be rid of her affliction. Was she motivated by her belief that God did not intend her to live perpetually as a bleeding woman? Deep down, did she know that there was a better life than this? That the labels that had been forced upon her were untrue? Did she know that there was life and offer to her and life to the full? A life of well-being, a life of knowing she is fully loved and fully known. But hiding in a crowd, she knew that all she needed was Jesus. Just to touch him would heal her. Indeed, it seemed as though she wanted to stay hidden, too afraid to be seen and known, presumably feeling she would be judged by others for potentially making them unclean. So just imagine her horror when after stealthily accomplishing her task and melting away back into the crowd, Jesus turns back and asks, who touched me? The reason Mark says the woman came in fear and trembling was that she had just done an unthinkable thing. She had approached a holy person, willfully, knowingly, and in the flood of her impurity. According to the rules of purity, she had just rendered Jesus unclean. She had been exposed in public in the middle of this shameful and embarrassing act. The woman wanted physical healing and had faith enough to approach Jesus and touch the hem of his cloak, but she wasn't expecting to encounter him in the way that she did. Jesus wasn't going to let her slip back into the crowd as if nothing had really happened. She was healed physically and she knew it as it says she felt she was well instantly. But Jesus had more for her. Jesus wanted to know that she was known. She was loved. She was accepted. She was clean. And she was healed in more ways than she can begin to dream. But how often do we try to hide out of a sense of shame? Sometimes we hide away on our own in isolation. But you'll know if you've experienced um, loneliness that you can feel it most powerfully and painfully in a room full of crowded people. I know that's true for me. 
She sought out Jesus whilst hiding away in shame and in fear of the disgust others had of her. Desperate, she seemed to want Jesus' power more than Jesus himself. She wanted healing and a quick getaway to touch and go. But Jesus had so much more for her than just a physical healing. He had a life of well-being laid out before her. He had life to the full for this woman who'd barely been existing. Jesus, in a crowd full of people, pressing in on him was opposite of Captain Hook. Jesus sees her. Jesus sees us. He didn't throw the woman away, dispose of his cloak, and move on, leaving her disappointed and downtrodden again. Jesus breaks into this woman's life and completely turns it around. This expression of forgiveness, restoration, and healing is the moment when the kingdom of heaven breaks into the life of this suffering woman. He seeks her out and calls her to come into the light, to be visible, to be seen, to be known. Having healed her physically, he heals her spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and socially. Within the crowd, amidst everything that is going on, Jesus sees her, and he gives her a new identity. The first word he speaks over her transforms her identity, that of daughter. Immediately, she has a sense of belonging. She's a daughter of the king, sharing in his majesty, redeemed, forgiven, free to be the woman she was made to be. That single and slight touch that was made as she reached out spoke a thousand words. When the woman touched his cloak, she was saying, I need help. And when Jesus healed her, he spoke over her the name daughter. She said, I have a mustard seed of faith. He said, your faith is enough for my grace is sufficient. She said, but I am weak. He said, I am your strength. She said, I feel lost and I feel alone. He said, I am shepherding you in to my family. She said, I'm afraid. And he said, don't be afraid, just believe. She said, you don't understand I'm a worthless nobody. He said, you are precious and you are fully known. She said, I've carried this shame for too long. He said, be free. She became known and accepted. Jesus gave her public honor instead of social hiddenness. After years of walking with her head down, shoulders slumped, arms wrapped around herself, trying to make herself look as small and as insignificant as she felt due to the rejection and hatred she received from her peers, she could now walk away with her head held high, forever changed by this encounter with the living God. I love watching, uh, watching TED Talks, and I can often end up watching one after the other, uh, which do result in watching ones you don't really have any interest in, like the other day, how to have a 10-item wardrobe. Obviously not going to happen. Um, but the other week, I came across one by a woman called uh, Amy Cuddy about how your body language can shape who you are. Um, and the gist of it is that through changing your body language, you can essentially fake it until you make it. She talks about the powerful stances of leaders and of people in their moments of victory. Uh, For example, when athletes cross the finish line, they hold their arms up high and wide. Um, And this isn't actually learned behavior, this is instinctive. Uh, Research shows that when blind from birth athletes cross the finish line, they also instinctively take this victory pose. Cuddy goes on to explain how taking on these stances can impact the way you see yourself and how others see you too. Uh, They boost your confidence and self-esteem if only for a moment. But this wasn't a fake-it-till-you-make-it moment for the bleeding woman. This was a forever-change-never-the-same moment. She would have walked away with her head held high, and I bet her arms high and wide too, in grateful, joyous victory, the same stance of our Saviour on the cross, dying a death for us, for you, and for me. She is now free, 
Though she came to him trembling with fear, every word of Jesus is saturated with love. He commands peace over her and freedom from the suffering she had carried. Not just physical bleeding, but mental anguish, deep sadness, and a sense of rejection. This encounter was not just a momentary experience to remember, but a new lifestyle, a new identity, and confidence to embrace and live in. Adrian recently talked about how the different yokes we can wear. We can choose to wear our own yoke of, of hard work, seeking approval from others, shame and fear. Or we can take off that yoke and put on the yoke of Jesus, of forgiveness, of acceptance, love, grace and freedom. Because Jesus knows our story. Even when we feel invisible in a crowd, Jesus sees us. He knows us. He gives us belonging in place of shame, acceptance in place of rejection, love in place of fear, hope in place of despair, family in place of isolation. Imagine how deeply this lady's life had changed. Imagine the passion of her worship now, arms high and wide. Imagine her love for Jesus. Imagine her security before people now. And the beautiful thing is that her story is our story. The untouchable woman touched the touchable God. God made himself known to us through his son that we might know life and life to the full. Through his life, death and resurrection, Jesus took on our sins, our shame, our guilt and replaced it with love, freedom and forgiveness. Jesus' healing of the bleeding woman was a beautiful demonstration of what he would do on the cross for every woman and every man. The lamb that was slain, a living sacrifice, he shed his blood for us. Through the person of Jesus, the pure takes on the impure clean takes on the unclean and we're made righteous we go from feeling like we have to hide in our shame or the shame of others to being declared sons and daughters of the living God fully loved and fully known we go from feeling unclean and rejected to being accepted and honored and we go from living out of fear to living in the freedom of Christ Jesus do you long for that this morning because you can encounter God and have your life changed right now. He's well within your grasp if you want to reach out and touch him. Perhaps you feel like the bleeding woman this morning. You've suffered for too long, carried this sin and a sense of shame for too long. Jesus invites you to come to him and allow him to heal you. For the application of this, I think there are probably three types of us and three kinds of people within the crowd. So perhaps do we just think we are one in the crowd, unseen, unnoticed, uncared for? That's simply not true. Or are we trying to hide in the crowd? Are you prone to hide from others rather than be truly known? You're invited to be real and you're invited to be free. Or perhaps you're sat there and you're thinking you do feel known, you do feel seen and free. For you and for all of us, how can we be Jesus in the crowd? How can we keep creating an environment as a community where no one needs hide and shame, but all may come and receive Jesus, his transforming healing and his freedom? Because Jesus sees all of us. He sees you and he sees me. Can I pray for us? And um, Would you just like to stand just as a way of saying I'm present before God? Father God, thank you that you see us, that you know us, that when we try to hide from you, uh, when we just feel like no one sees us, that no one cares for us, thank you that you are in the crowd with us, Lord God. 
and when we reach out to touch you, when we reach out to seek you, you care and you want to know us too, Lord God. Thank you that um, you completely change us, that when we encounter you, we don't go away the same. I pray, Lord, for those who are, are hiding this morning. Would you reach out to them, Lord God? Would they have the confidence to, to seek you and to find you, Lord God? And I pray for us this week. Would we be Jesus in the crowd where we are uniquely placed? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's fantastic. Before we move on, I just wanted to just pick up on that. I just recognise that maybe for some of us, just as that was spoken, you're just, you're just thinking, actually, I have come, and I just feel a bit like I'm one in the crowd. And I don't want us to lose that, that today is a day where Jesus says, I see you, and I know you. And so for some of us, we really need to hear it, as well as the, some of us, maybe we just come in, and maybe this has been our pattern week in, week out for numbers of weeks, we just think, I'll go and I'll hide and, and kind of hide some of me away. I'll make sure there's this bit people get to see, but there's this, all this other stuff that's going on that I'm not going to allow anyone to see. And today is a moment where Jesus says, look, I don't want you to live like that. That's not living. That's just hiding. And one of the things I love about this community of Oasis is that we don't need to hide from one another. I think there's many things that have gone on in my life where I thought, I can't possibly share that with people. Either stuff that's been done to me or stuff that I've done. I think, I can't possibly talk about that. And what I found is that Jesus says, I don't know, you, you can be free, not in order to expose you, but in order that you could know that you're always acceptable. And I tell you what, there's something unbelievably powerful of knowing that, yes, God accepts you, but how he reveals that is puts you in a bunch of people who says, you know what, no matter what, we still love you. And I just recognize that maybe for some of us, it might be just for one or two, there's something going on in you. You just think, man, I hope he doesn't look at me because if he does, he's going to know that's me. And for you, I just want to encourage you, why not take the risk today at the end of this morning and say, do you know what, I just need to talk to someone. Maybe you want to come and speak to me. I'd love that. I'd feel an unbelievable privilege. And just saying, this is something of who I am. And I just, I just need to say something. I don't want to hide anymore. But please, let's hold on to that.